Well, good morning, Shiloh. Good morning. It is so good to be with you this morning, and I, I appreciate Gary so much uh, inviting me uh, to be here. I hope he has a quick recovery. And uh, as, he, as he mentioned to you last week, uh, Gary and I were friends in high school. We were in the same youth group together, went to different high schools, but little did we know at that time that all these years later that we would both end up preachers. I'm sure there were a lot of other people, right, that, that probably had the same thought, but here we are. My, I, I, uh, I preach in Kaufman, uh, Texas, here near, near Dallas, and um, we've been there for a little over seven years. And as I was preparing to come today, it occurred to me that between when we used to live in Huntsville, Texas, and moved to, before we moved to Kaufman, Lana and I, with our kids, came and worshiped with you. And because the nature of my job requires me to be at church on Sunday in Kaufman, I have not been with you uh, in seven plus years, and so it's a great privilege for me uh, to be here with you this morning, and and, uh, grateful for Gary asking me to be here with you while he's recovering. I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're going to be together in just a minute. It's going to be important that you read along with me as we read from there in just a minute. And as you're finding Acts chapter 8, I also just want to say something quickly. I know that you are in the midst of uh, this REACH initiative and as I was thinking about that and thinking about the, uh, the process that you're going through now to, um, to prepare to dream about the future, I, I, I was starting to think about my relationship with this church. And, and I want to just say how special the Shiloh Road Church is to me, obviously to Lana and to our family. I first came to know Shiloh through my relationship with Lana when we started dating in college and would come occasionally with her here. Uh, and, and I know that as you think about the next 40 years, one of the things that occurs to me is that I am a part of a larger group of people that represent the last 40 years. Um, and and it, it, it struck me that, uh, I'm not going to tell Lana's age, but you could probably do some math and figure it out, uh, that there was a point, there's a picture that I've seen, and I think it might have been shown a few weeks ago, that, that David and Diane were at outside here somewhere at that time with their little girl, and, and uh, there was a groundbreaking ceremony that I think was for this facility. And, uh, and so all these years later, I know that lots of lives have been touched, lots of people's lives have been changed. Uh, the good news of Christ has been sent out from among this body. Um, and, and I know that while uh, physical space isn't everything, uh, it occurred to me that, that this actual space right here uh, is where a little over 16 years ago, Lana and I uh, committed our lives together in marriage. And many of you were there for that day. And so because of that, this space uh, is sort of sacred to me, and, and this church is significant and special to me. And, and I just want you to, to know that it's important what you're doing. And as you think about and dream about the next 40 years and beyond, um, that there's lots of lives that have been impacted that you may not ever know, may not ever get to stand up here and say thank you, uh, thank, you know, thank you for the things that you've done. And so I want to maybe just in a small way uh, get to speak today for that group of people and uh, thank you for the things that you've done and the things that you're going to do that God's going to do through you in the years to come. And so uh, thank you for that and thanks again for the opportunity to be here. It's really a gift I want to begin this morning with a prayer, and so if you would, just bow with me as we prepare. Father, this morning we come, and we are grateful, uh, grateful to be here with you, grateful to be with one another, and 
grateful for the privilege of opening your word together. This morning, God, we ask that you will stir hearts and minds, that you will move among us, that you will uh, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. God, I pray especially as we look at a pretty familiar story to many of us, uh, that you'll give us uh, a newness of eyes to see it in a new way, to understand it in a deeper way, and to think about it in some really significant ways. Father, we are grateful for what you've done, and I personally am grateful for this body and what many of these people have meant to me and my family uh, for so many years. And I pray that you'll bless this church in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, and that as they continue to minister to this city, to one another, and to others around the world, that you'll give them vision and courage and wisdom uh, to be bold in declaring the good news uh, that Jesus Christ is for everybody. Uh, We thank you, Father, this morning. We pray your blessing upon our time, and we ask all this in the name of Christ. And the church said, amen. So a few years ago, my family read the book uh, Wonder together. And uh, this book has now been turned into a, a movie that some of you may have seen, but at the time we read the book, it, it wasn't yet a movie, and it's easily one of the best books that I've read. If you, if you haven't read the book or, or seen the movie, I'm going to share a few spoilers, but I gave you adequate time to see the movie. So it's still not going to ruin the movie or the book, but I would, I would recommend you see, see the movie or read the book if you haven't seen that or read that. But in this story, the central character in the book Wonder is a little boy named Augie Pullman. And Augie uh, is a boy that's born with several uh, genetic abnormalities. Uh, he dreamed of being an ordinary kid, and he, he wanted like, to be like all the other kids. And on the inside, he felt like that he was, but after 27 surgeries, he had such extreme facial deformities that people who would see him for the first time would do what the book describes as that look-away thing because they were so shocked at his physical appearance. And as the book begins, it says of his face, whatever you're thinking, it's probably worse. Augie's favorite uh, holiday was Halloween, because that was the day when he could be like every other kid and wear a costume and wear some sort of a mask that would cover up his face so that everybody wouldn't know what he really looked like and that maybe he could get treated like all the other kids. Augie was homeschooled for the first 10 years of his life, but after turning 10 and being ready to go to fifth grade, his parents found a good school and decided to send Augie to a school named Beecher Prep, and they wanted him to go there rather than being homeschooled. So imagine, right, just for a moment, that you look so, your face is so disfigured to the point that every time you step into public, uh, that people turn their heads, uh, or they stare, maybe even worse, they stare, right? And imagine a boy that feels excluded his entire life, wanting more than anything to be treated like all the other kids, to be welcomed and to be included by other people. Imagine a boy that wants to be treated like his condition, to be treated like his appearance don't matter. There's this one part of the book where Augie's sister, Via, who she's in a school play, and her co-star, Justin, and her, they're, they're, they've performed this play, and Augie and his parents have gone uh, to watch his sister Via perform, and they do a phenomenal job, and she's in the starring role. And at the end of the play, the whole crowd gives Via and Justin, her co-star, a standing ovation. 
And this is what Augie said about that moment. He said, I clapped until my hands hurt. For a second, I imagined how cool it would be to be Via and Justin right then, having all these people standing up and cheering for you. I think there should be a rule that everyone in the world gets a standing ovation at least once in their lives. So in Acts chapter 8, Luke tells this story about another person that's excluded. And we first learn about a guy named Philip back in Acts chapter 6 when he, along with Stephen and five other people, are chosen to help carry the message of Jesus. But by the beginning of Acts chapter 8, persecution is broken out in Jerusalem And it's so bad that many in the church in Jerusalem are scattered all over the place. And so I want to read from the beginning of Acts chapter 8 to kind of get a sense of what the context is for what we're going to look at in the latter part of Acts 8. I want to read beginning in verse 1. On that day, it says, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the message there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what He said, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So just pause there for a minute. Paul is persecuting the church, going house to house, and followers of Jesus are being scattered all over the place. And Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us that Philip goes to a city in Samaria, a place that he would have grown up hating and starts proclaiming Christ there, performing miracles and casting out spirits of all kinds there among the people. And then, at some point later, God does what we're going to read about next. I'm going to pick up in verse 26. Luke says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him in the chariot. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was like a sheep. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? 
and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So there's a lot to know about this guy. First of all, he's from Ethiopia, so he's wrapped in a different color than Philip. We know that he's a high-ranking official in the Ethiopian government and that he serves under the queen. He was probably something like the, the, tre- the finance minister of, of Ethiopia. We know that he has access to money because he's riding in a chariot and because he has a scroll, uh, or at least a partial scroll, of Isaiah, which you only have if you can purchase one at this point. He's educated, and we know that because he can also read. He's reading aloud when Philip walks up to the chariot, which is significant considering how much of the world would have been illiterate at this point in history. He's also a foreigner interested in the God of Israel, which is interesting enough on its own, and we don't have time to dive into all of that, but there's a lot there probably even to unpack by itself. And he's, as a foreigner, just come from Jerusalem, come from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, now is coming from Jerusalem, uh, where he had gone to worship this God only to discover when he arrived that there was a problem. When he got to the temple in Jerusalem, he learned that he couldn't get into the temple because he is a eunuch. And back in Deuteronomy, the law stated that no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. Now, this might be too, un- too much information for you, uh, but it's important. And I don't want to embarrass my mother-in-law too bad this morning as the guest preacher. But it's important, so bear with me, right? Uh, and plus, it's in the Bible, so we've we got we to talk about it. Eunuchs were not always eunuchs by choice. Sometimes they were this way because of some uh, act of sexual immorality. That's one reason that they might have been a eunuch. But in most cases, eunuchs were eunuchs because, uh, and they would be made eunuchs before puberty. Uh, and then they would be assigned the job of working in the, the kind of the queen's court around women in the royal family. And if they were eunuchs, they would, you know, and then they had grown up this way, they wouldn't cause any problems with the women in the royal family, if you catch my drift. And if you don't, kids, ask your parents later. <clears throat> and so what this situation means is that uh, he will not gain access to the temple as a eunuch. He may not have known that before he arrived. As a, as a Gentile, this man would have been, wouldn't wouldn't have been able to go beyond the court of Gentiles in the temple anyway, but at least he would have been able to go in. But now he can't go in at all. So this man, important in the place where he comes from and has some level of authority, has some level of influence and wealth, has some significant role among the queen of Ethiopia, finds himself excluded. He's traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles to worship the God of Israel only to find out when he arrives that he isn't even allowed in the temple. He's been rejected and he's been humiliated. And while he sits in his chariot, 
I imagine mulling in his mind over all the things that have happened, what's just happened in Jerusalem and how he's been treated, his exclusion from the temple. And now over this confusing passage of Scripture in Isaiah, the angel taps Philip on the shoulder. And while the eunuch is reading aloud, Philip hears him and asks this great question, do you understand what you're reading? To which the man responds, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And he invites Philip into his chariot. Barbara Brown Taylor in her commentary on this story says that for a modern example of what's happening in this scene in Acts chapter 8 and how shocking it would have been that an Ethiopian eunuch and Philip would have been sitting, two different men sitting in this chariot together, how shocking that would have been. We have to imagine a diplomat from another country visiting Washington, D.C., and that he's just invited a street preacher into his late model Lexus for a Bible study. And when you imagine a scene like that, you have a picture of Acts chapter 8. So they sit in this chariot, and Philip sees that he's reading from Isaiah, and he hears that he's reading from Isaiah. And what's really significant is the particular passage in Isaiah that this Ethiopian is reading. Look again at what he was reading. He's reading about someone who, like a sheep, was led to the the slaughter and in his humiliation was denied justice. And you can hear right in his question as he talks to Philip, he's wondering, is, is Isaiah only talking about his experience or is he talking about my experience too? And the Ethiopian man has just experienced humiliation, I would imagine, and he's just been denied justice. On your own sometime, just go look at the distance, at the trip that he would have made to get to the temple in Jerusalem. And, and, and now he's wondering, as I think about his story, is all of that for nothing? Did I make this trip for nothing? And so Philip sees an opportunity and joins him in the chariot. And he begins with that very passage of Scripture. And he explains to the eunuch that Isaiah, the person Isaiah is talking about is Jesus. Jesus, Philip says, was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb before the shearer is silent, so too Jesus did not open his mouth when he could have. It was Jesus that was humiliated in his suffering and his death. Now, it's at this point in the story, if you will allow me a little creative preaching liberty. See, because I think in my mind, as I imagine this story, The passage, and you may have a footnote there at the bottom of your Bible in Acts chapter 8, that the passage that this eunuch was reading from was Isaiah chapter 53. But as I imagine this story in my mind, I think that Philip didn't stop his drive-by Bible study with this eunuch with Isaiah 53. I think that, that Philip kept going. Just a couple chapters as they read this prophet together and wrestled with the significance and the meaning of these words that led this eunuch to make a decision to surrender his life to Jesus Christ and be baptized into this kingdom to start a relationship that was rooted in love with Jesus. I think that he kept going a couple more chapters. Because listen, just if you will, to what Isaiah says, just a couple of chapters after Isaiah 53, after that passage that the man was reading in his chariot. This is what Isaiah says. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, 
The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them a name that is an everlasting name that will endure forever. Did you hear what Isaiah said? Isaiah imagined a day where because of the coming Messiah, which at this point, who's already come, right? Eunuchs and everybody else that is often pushed to the margins of society would be welcomed fully and completely by God. And what this moment in Acts 8 means, Philip says to the Ethiopian, is that now Isaiah has come true. Everyone is welcomed into God's new family. What this means, Philip says, is that now there is nothing that can separate you from God's love that we just sang about a few minutes ago. But just then, the eunuch asks another question. And if you know the story, I want, this is the point at which I want you to imagine that you're hearing it for the first time. Because if you listen closely to the interaction between the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip, I think the way that the Ethiopian eunuch asks the question If you listen closely, you get a sense that this question is asked with a bit of apprehension. You hear a little anxiety in his voice. Will he be rejected again? Is the good news really good for him too? Is there really nothing that can separate me? Because back in Jerusalem, I just got rejected and was told that I wasn't welcomed into the temple This is how the question is asked. The NIV says, why shouldn't I be baptized? But I actually think you hear the eunuch's fear of rejection more in the NRSV translation that says, what is to prevent me from being baptized? See, I think it's all about which words you choose to emphasize. Is there really nothing preventing me, the eunuch asks? What about my sexual status as a eunuch, he asks. And what about my foreign nation? I am from Ethiopia, after all. And what about the fact that I'm not a Jew? Are you sure, Philip, that nothing separates me from the love of God, that this promise in Isaiah is really for me too? And at one point in his life, I really believe at one point in his life, Philip would have responded to a question like that. What is really preventing me? I think Philip would have responded to a question like that by saying, well, actually, there are a number of things that are preventing you from being baptized. But today, because Philip begins to see the new thing that God is doing, Philip comes up with no reason that prevents this man from being baptized. So the eunuch, it's not exactly clear, but I think as the person with authority whose chariot he was riding in, the Ethiopian stops the chariot, right? And he says, let's go get baptized. And so the chariot is stopped, and they, down, they go down into the water, and Philip baptizes him. And the first Gentile convert is welcomed into the kingdom of God, given full and complete access to God that he had come to worship at the temple.
And when Philip baptized them, Isaiah 56 comes true. Isaiah 56 is fulfilled in Acts chapter 8. Salvation really is for everyone. No one will be excluded. God is doing a new thing and started with this moment and this man and God giving him a new inheritance. And what Isaiah coming true means is that in Christ, the center of the kingdom of God is no longer a temple with all these varying levels of access. The center of the kingdom of God is no longer a temple where some are excluded. Now what this moment means and what Isaiah coming true in this moment means is that in Christ, the center of the kingdom of God is now a table. And everybody gets a seat at that table. Your background and your past and your sin do not exclude you from communion with God. Those that thought they were excluded are now invited by Jesus himself. Jesus really is good news for everyone. Which brings me back to the book Wonder. After a long and strenuous experience in fifth grade, Augie Pullman makes it successfully through his fifth grade year. And at the end of the year, his school, like many schools, has an award presentation. And to Augie's surprise, the principal, Mr. Tushman, calls his name at the end of the ceremony and announces that Augie has won an award. And I just want to read an excerpt from the book to you. And this is what it says. As he walked to the stage, this is what he said. I think I was smiling. Maybe I was beaming. I don't know. As I walked up the aisle toward the stage, all I saw was a blur of happy, bright faces looking at me and hands clapping for me. Everyone was woo-hooing and whistling for me. I felt like I was floating, he said, like the sun was shining full force on my face and the wind was blowing all around. And as I walked up the steps to the stage, the most amazing thing happened. Everyone started standing up. Not just in the front rows and not just in the middle rows, but the whole audience suddenly got up on their feet, whooping and hollering and clapping like crazy. It was a standing ovation for me. His whole life, he had been excluded. He'd been the kid that was pushed aside, was avoided, was neglected, was treated as an other, as an outsider. But now, in this moment, he was an ordinary kid, welcomed by all into the community that he so deeply wanted to be a part of. And that is news that is so good, it calls for rejoicing. Welcome to the kingdom of God, the only place that I know of on heaven or earth that is actually for everyone. A place where no one is excluded and everyone is allowed entrance. A a place where no one has gone too far away that can't be brought back. A place that is a kingdom and is run and ruled by a king that, that leads with relationship and that leads with love and inclusion. A place that, that is found un, and serves under a, a people that serve under a king that will go as far as he needs to go to love them and bring them back into the family. And that is why the Ethiopian, I think, goes on his way rejoicing because he knows 
He knows now that those that were previously excluded by God are now included and are becoming part of this ever-growing circle of people that make up God's family. And maybe this morning, maybe this morning you feel like you're far from God. Maybe you've never made a decision to give your life over to Jesus. And maybe it had very little to do with Jesus, actually. Maybe it mostly had to do with the fact that you weren't convinced it was really good news for you. Or maybe, maybe more likely, many of us have been following Jesus for some time, and today maybe we just need to be reminded again that it is still good news for you too. It isn't just good news one time when we make the same decision that this Ethiopian man made. It is good news every single day that Jesus didn't just save us from our sins, but he saved us for something else, to engage in the world around us, to encourage each other and to reach our world with this good news, this message that Jesus Christ is king. It's good news not just one time, but every single day. And no matter what you have been told, the truth is that Jesus really does love you. And that God's standing ovation for you and for me is that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to rescue all of us from death and to welcome us into this kingdom, this kingdom that grows and expands, that includes, that crosses borders and that includes people that have always been excluded and that people, it kind of turns the world upside down so that people on the bottom become the greatest among us. God's standing ovation for us is that he sent Jesus to make all of this possible so that you and I get a seat at the table. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we come again grateful to you for your love for us. And grateful, Father, that Christ came to destroy barriers and to erase lines and to move the borders of this kingdom to places that they had never been before. We are so limited by our ability with our human eyes to see how human kingdoms construct themselves. And we are so grateful for new eyes to see the thing that Jesus has done in erasing those lines and welcoming people of all nations, of all backgrounds into this family. And we're grateful, Father, that Jesus pursues us with love and that our relationship with him is rooted in that love. And I pray this morning that you will continue to spur this church on toward greater heights, that they will reach higher and deeper into that love so that they can extend it into this city and this county, this state, and around the world. I pray your blessing upon them as they pursue that vision and that you'll give them courage and boldness along the way. We thank you, Father, for your love for us, and we pray in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, it may be that uh, you want to respond in some way to just say this morning, you know what, I I I need to just acknowledge again that I haven't thought in some time about how good that news really is, and that it's still good for me, even though I made a decision a long time ago. Or you may want to make a decision to say, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did, Today's the day that I want to surrender my life to this king to be a part of this kingdom. And, and however you need to respond, the invitation is to respond to God.
who welcomes you fully into his family. There'll be elders, I think, at the back and around to receive you. However you need to respond, let's respond to God as we sing this song together.